Luke chapter 24. We're going to be going through... Actually, I'm going to go probably all the way through verse 48. But last week, we basically saw that there was a church that had fallen into many sinful practices. There was, if you go through and you look at each chapter of Corinth, it describes a different sin condition that they had and the struggles that they were dealing with in their flesh. And one of the things that we found out last week is that the problem with them not being able to fully die to their self and just live for the gospel of Jesus Christ and and literally fully believe in Him to the point that it completely transforms you. The thing that hindered them from doing that is that they weren't fully believing in all the gospel. So they would celebrate the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the problem was that they did not believe in a bodily resurrection for themselves. And so, and one of the ways we know that is because of what Paul said to them. He said, listen, if the dead do not rise, then Jesus Himself has not risen, is what He told them in 1 Corinthians 15. In other words, in their minds, they're thinking, okay, well, Jesus died, buried, and He rose again. But that's it. We now just celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection, and we just get to enjoy the fruits of salvation right here and right now. But then when we die, there is no resurrection from the dead. There is no bodily resurrection. And so because of that, I take it when I read these scriptures in 1 Corinthians that they had kind of fell into this trap of just trying to live the life that they desired to live to the fullest right now. And so honestly, they were just doing whatever they wanted to do, living however they wanted to live, and yet coming together as a church and celebrating what Jesus had done for them. So it's really kind of a, it's a very messed up understanding, if you will. And he has to spend 1 Corinthians 15 laying out for them the full gospel and what it means for us to to be in Jesus Christ and to hope one day and know that one day we too are going to rise from the dead in the same way that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so whenever they, they recognized that, Paul told them, when this happens, you are able then to die to yourself. When you recognize that this life is not where our hope lies, nothing in it, This life in and of itself leads to nothing but death. But to be in Jesus Christ and to trust in His death, His burial, and His resurrection means that we can have abundant life, that we can have true life in Jesus. And those that are in Jesus, he says, will never die. And when you finally comprehend that, When you finally grasp that and you believe that with everything in you, that is the moment that a transformation really begins to take place. And you quit worrying about this life and fulfilling the desires of this life and what people think about you in this life. And instead, you just put your focus on living for Him and the life that He has promised you because that's what you believe in. That's what is real. That's what's coming. And until you get there, that is a hindrance to you from living a full, abundant life 
in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to everybody? And so basically, what we're finding out today in this scripture is that there were other hindrances as well for the disciples themselves. I'm not talking about the church of Corinth now. I'm talking about the people that walked in His ministry with Him. The people that saw the blind see, the lame walk, the people that saw the deaf hear, the people that saw the dead raised to life. You would think that that would be enough for you to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and for you to put your faith and your trust in Him. And they did. But not to the point that it transformed their lives. And we'll see that here in just a few minutes. So what I want to be able to see this morning is that Luke chapter 24 describes a problem that all of the disciples had that hindered them from being able to see Jesus for who He truly truly was. It hindered them from being able to put all of their faith and their trust in Him and it hindered them from being transformed from the fear of death into a glorious, abundant life of living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason I'm hitting on this again this week is because I really believe these are the major problems with most Christians today. I know in my life for many years that was the problem. I so wanted to hang on to this life. I so wanted to fulfill all the desires of this life. I had to satisfy the passions that I wanted in this life. And the reason being was... I wasn't able to see and believe that true life is in Him. And as long as I try to hang on to this life, I can never truly have that life. That's what the Bible teaches us. And so, let's see this morning what other hindrances that the disciples had that kept them from being able. If you've got an outline this morning... Um, you'll see, I'm going to go down through these step by step. If you didn't get the outline, you can find it on Facebook, on our um, Facebook page. It should be right there. Um, or there's one printed out back. If you want to uh, stand up and go get you one, I, no problem with that whatsoever. But I'll tell you what, before we go any further, if you would, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning, we come here to hear from you. Father, I know that there is nothing that I can say, there is nothing that I can do that will truly change anyone. But Father, through Your Word and through Your Holy Spirit, I know that You can change hearts this morning. Father, because I know You've changed mine. And Lord, I pray this morning that, Lord, You would allow us to hear from You. Father, I pray that we would have eyes to see that we would have ears to hear, that we would have a heart to be able to comprehend and take in everything we see from Your Word about who You are and what You require of us. Father, I just ask You this morning, God, that, Lord, You would speak to us. Father, again, we have no hope without You. So, Father, before I go any further, Father, I need to, to proclaim to You that unless you come in and do what you do this morning, then the next 45 minutes or however long you decide to speak to us, God, is going to be in vain, without purpose. But God, I know that if you you speak, 
Lord, I just know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it will be the best time that we have ever spent in our lives because we have heard from you, our Father, God Almighty, the Creator of all things. And Father, I pray, God, that you would do that for us this morning. Father, we need you and we cry out to you asking you to be with us. Speak to us right now. Teach us, Lord. And Father, we ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. I want to show you that one of the problems that the disciples had was that they had amnesia. They had forgotten things that they had heard over and over and over again. And we want to see that. Go with me to Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb. They took the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find what? The body. So what are, they, are they looking for a living being? They're looking for a body, right? Alright, now keep going with me. Verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead. In other words, why are you here? You should not be in the graveyard this morning. And you're going to understand why they shouldn't have been there here in just a few minutes, but keep going with me. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. And then notice, what's that next word say? Remember. Here's the first problem we have with the disciples, and you're going to see our problem many times as well. Remember how He what? He told you. You have been taught this. You have been made aware of this. Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day, what? He told them. They should have known this according to the angels, right? According to the angels, they should have known that He was going to die, He was going to suffer at the hands of, of sinful men, He was going to be crucified, and on the third day, He was going to rise. He was not going to stay dead. His body is not going to be in the tomb because He is not there. You don't look for the living in the graveyard, do you? But that's what they're doing. So the question to the disciple is, why? Are you looking for the living among the dead? Don't you remember what He told you? And you know the answer to that? They didn't remember. And they keep going with me. Verse 8, And then they remembered His words. And returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to who else? And to all the rest. And so here you go. You've got all of the disciples. I don't know, we don't know how many this was, but we know that there were, I think, five women possibly that went to the tomb this morning. All right? 
And so we know that there were at least five women that brought spices to the tomb. And the reason they brought spices is because they were there to embalm a dead body. They had forgotten what the Lord Jesus said. And not only them, but all of the disciples had forgotten what the Lord Jesus had said. Because if they had remembered, the women would not have been in the graveyard looking for Him. And if the disciples had remembered, they would not be behind locked doors hiding for fear of the Jews. And so the problem that we see in here is that they did not listen enough to actually remember and comprehend when Jesus taught the Word of God to them. And how many of us today is that still our problem? How many of you can say that you have sit under enough teaching in your life that you ought to be a little further along than you are? And so the problem is that here we have disciples and one of the hindrances to actually fully believing the gospel is that they have only heard what they wanted to hear. Now let me show you an example of that. Go with me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 through 23. This is just one of the places to where Jesus taught His disciples, all of them, and He told them word for word what was going to happen and notice what their response was. From that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem, all right, and that He must suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and what? Be killed, and on the third day be raised. Now can you get any more clear teaching than that? Now wouldn't you say that if you were sitting under Him as a disciple and He told you this, that you would have perked up and listened and went, this is interesting. He's going to suffer? He is going to suffer according to the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes? Then He's going to be killed? And then He's going to be raised from the dead on the third day? But notice what happens in verse 22. And Peter took him aside and began to what? (laughs) Jesus is trying to teach Peter. He's trying to teach all the disciples. But the problem that you and I face, if we are not careful, we only hear what we want to hear. Y'all understand what I'm saying? And this is the problem with so much of Christianity today. The Word of God is proclaimed in many places, but the Bible says that people have itching ears. And they heap to them teachers that will scratch this itch that they have in their ears and will preach to them what they want to hear. And you and I have to be very careful that if that is the way that we are going to seek the Word of God, if that's the way we're going to come to church, can I go ahead and tell you this morning that if you expect to come in here every Sunday morning and walk out of here going, "Mm, that I just feel awesome. I mean, God is just so much in line with me and I'm doing everything that He wants me to do. Can I tell you that ain't going to happen in this church? 
I'm just being honest with you. Now, does that mean I'm trying to come in here and bash everybody and stomp their toes and make you feel bad? Absolutely not. But can I tell you the truth is that when the Word of God is spoken to us in truth, many times it's going to say things that you and I don't like. It is usually going to tell us things that are completely in uh, argument with what you and I want to believe and what you and I want to hear. And we have to make sure that we have ears to hear whatever the Lord Jesus Christ teaches to us so that we do not turn away from His teaching and instead we start trying to teach Him like Peter here. Look what Peter did. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and he said, "Uh Uh-uh! Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Now, Peter's intentions are good, are they not? Good intentions. The problem is, what he just did is he looked at the Word of God and he said, no, the Word of God does not say that. That is not what's going to happen. That is not what God means. That's not how you should be interpreted in that Scripture. And then, notice what happens next. Did I give you verse 23? I may not give you. Yeah, I did. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me what? You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is the problem with many disciples today. We do not come into hearing the Word of God with a mind that says, God, I want to know what your ways are. I know they're not going to agree with me. I know that it's going to correct me. I know that it's going to turn me into a different direction than what I'm probably going right now. I know this, but that is exactly what I come in here looking for. I do not come in here with my heart set on the things of man. I come in here looking for the things of God. And if you will do that, then this will be a hindrance that will likely not grab you up. But I'm telling you, I see this so often. I see people, they use the Word of God to make them feel as good as they can feel about themselves. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that that we should just walk around all droopy and gloomy and upset. But I am saying to you that the truth of the matter is, many times the Word of God is not going to agree with your life. Amen? Amen. And so we have to make sure that we are setting our mind on the things of God, not on the things of men. We have to be careful not to try and make the Scripture say what we want them to say. And this is the problem. They did not expect a suffering Messiah. But do you know what? They should have. You know why? Because He had taught it to them. He had told them, and they did not listen. Now let's go to the evidences next. Verses 10 through 24. Let's look at the evidence that should have made them believe exactly what Jesus told them is true. Verse 10. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them like an idle tale, and they did not believe them. All the disciples 
So every one of them are hindered because they did not believe what the Word of God had, been, had said to them, right? And so here we have, we have no telling how many disciples. At one time, I think there was 120 if I remember right. And I don't know if this is the full 120. We don't know how many it is. But we know that it's at least uh, three to five women, somewhere around in there. We know that it is at least um, the other 11 disciples because Judas is now gone, right? And then we know that there are other disciples in this place, yet none of them believed. And yet every one of them were back at the teachings of Jesus. And so the evidence should have been the fact that He told them this was going to happen. And yet even though they heard it from Him, they did not believe it. Why? Because they heard what they wanted to hear. They only picked out the things from the Word that agreed with them, that, that met their plan, that met their agenda. And this is what we have to be careful of today. Look at another evidence there. They have the testimony of these women, trusted women. These are women that have walked with them, talked with them. These are people that have been with Jesus from most of His ministry, if not from the very beginning. We have Mary Magdalene, who the Bible tells us Jesus cast out seven demons from this woman. We have um, Joanna, who the Bible tells us it was King Herod's household manager. It was his wife. And so we have this woman that is a very, very well-known figure in Galilee here. And she comes back with this testimony. We have, James, we have married the mother of James. And now it's possible that this is actually Jesus' mother. I tend to lean more toward Mary the mother of James and John. And the reason I do that is because he says here, Mary the mother of James. Why didn't he say Mary the mother of Jesus, right? And so I believe this distinguishes her from Mary, the mother of, Je uh, of Jesus. But still, the fact of the matter is, we have the mother of the sons of thunder, James and John. And, and these are at least three women who are very well known to these disciples. And they come back saying, listen, we went to find the body, but He was not there. And then these two men in dazzling apparel, they, they stood beside of us and they said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And they run back and they tell the apostles this. And yet the apostles, they hear this and they should believe this testimony. But even still, even though they had the teachings of Jesus, even though they had the testimony of very reliable witnesses, they still do not believe. And then we also have <clears throat> that they had witnessed... Uh, no, let me say this. They had the testimony of the empty tomb from two of the leading disciples. Look at verse 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. And from the Gospel of John, we know he wasn't alone, right? He was in a foot race with John, right? And so John and Peter go running to the tomb. And then they stopped and looked in. And he saw the linen clothes by themselves... And he went home marveling at what had happened. He wondering, but he still does not believe. And so none of these disciples are believing. Why? Because it does not line up with their agenda. It does not line up with what they believed was supposed to happen. Now go with me to um, uh, verse... Um, look at verse 19 and 21. 
I'm going to skip over a few things for just a minute. And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who... What's that next word? Was. What does that tell you? He ain't no more. Still don't believe, right? A man who was, and now he's not even the Messiah, the Christ anymore. Now he's just a man who was a prophet. So you see all the unbelief in this? But then keep going what they said next. He was mighty indeed. These are people that have seen Him heal the blind. These are people that have seen Him raise the dead. These are people that have watched Him be mighty in so many deeds. And so they have evidence to believe who He was and yet still don't believe. And not only that, He was mighty in word before God and all the people. Everybody saw this. It wasn't something that he hid. And then verse 20. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, past tense, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day. You see that? They're thinking about what the women said. They're thinking about the words that they're now remembering. They're saying, okay, because here's the picture. Picture this in your mind. You've got all these disciples gathered behind locked doors. Okay, It's kind of like, let's say we're all this morning. We're the disciples of Jesus. Jesus has just died, and now we're hiding in here because we don't want to suffer the same fate that He did by being connected to Him. Okay, We're all hiding in here. And then the only ones brave among us and have enough courage to go out are the women. Can I call it like it is? And so here the women get together and they're going to at least go out and they're going to at least embalm the body. While they're there, they see these two angels that come to them and say, listen, he's not here, he's alive. And then they come running back And they meet these disciples again and they tell them this, but the disciples, they still don't believe it. Then Peter and John, they're just curious enough that they get up and run to the tomb, but when they get there, He's not there. And so then they come back and they're all still sitting there and they're still not believing. But then somewhere after lunch, now think about it, they went at sunrise, right? They sit there long enough to at least see if maybe, just maybe, He actually comes by. But then a few hours passes and they don't see Him. And so two of them get up and they decide, well, it's over. We're going back home. And the Bible says they get on the road going to Emmaus, which is about a seven-mile journey, which should take you, if you're walking, anywhere from two to three hours, basically, to walk this journey. The Bible also tells us that they don't reach Emmaus until late that evening. And it was so late that when Jesus was talking to them, they told them, hey, don't go no further. Come stay with us. It's late. Come in here and eat with us. So that gives us a timeline, right? So they waited for just a little while with the disciples that day. But then Jesus don't show up. And so then they get on the road probably sometime after lunch because... It's over. They want to make it back home. And they're going back home and they're talking back and forth to one another. 
And then all of a sudden, this stranger comes up and just joins the conversation. Now this is not uncommon in this day and time because they didn't have cars they drove. So if you're going somewhere, you're either going by horse and chariot or you're footing it. All right? And so here they are, they're walking down the road, and just like normal, a stranger comes up and they're talking, and the stranger walks up and says, Hey, what are you talking about? And they just stand still, the Bible tells us. The Bible says they stand still, looking sad. And they turn and they look at this stranger and they say, Are you really the only visitor in all of Jerusalem? that don't know about the things that have happened. Now Josephus tells us that during this time of Passover, there would be some two million Jews in Jerusalem at this time. Two million people! And you are the only one that don't know what's going on and what we're talking about? And then you know what Jesus' response to him is? And this is hilarious to me. Jesus looks back at him and he says, What things? And so now they proceed to tell Jesus all about what Jesus went through. And Jesus is just walking along with them, going, Wow, really? What happened next? Well, they betrayed, Judas betrayed him and then he got took before the high priest and then he ended up before the Roman uh, Pilate governor and then he ended up back before the high priest and back before Pilate and then he ends up, they, they crucify him on the cross and he was buried and, and we were just, we were really hoping because he was such a, a mighty prophet in word and deed and we were just really hoping that he was the one and Jesus is just looking at him going, wow, that's amazing. Wow. And the Bible tells us that he walks along with them all the way to Emmaus. And the Bible tells us that he tells them all of these things about who he is and what he is going to do and what they should have believed. Go with me now to verse 25 and verse 26. And I want you to notice this right here. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You see the next problem with this? Not only do they only hear what they want to hear, not only do they only pick out the things of God that are in alignment with their agenda and the way they think things are supposed to be, but also they are foolish because they should have known better, right? And they are slow of heart to believe what? What's that next word? Slow of heart to believe what? All. I want you to think about this for a minute. Please pay attention. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You notice here that basically they have just again picked out the things that the prophet said that they thought most specifically applied to them. They are looking for, remember, look at the misunderstanding. In verse, um, in verse 26, look what he says. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? Now how are they supposed to know this? Look at verse 27. 
and beginning with Moses. And what are the books of Moses? The first five books of the Old Testament, right? And beginning with the books of Moses, and then with all the prophets, he interprets or he expounds to them all the things in the Scriptures that are concerning himself. In other words, he takes them back and he shows them that you should have known that the Christ was going to suffer and the Christ was going to die and the Christ was going to rise again. How should you have known that? Because Moses spoke about it. You should have known that because all the prophets spoke about it. You should have known that because if you had been not slow of heart, but wise and fast of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken, you wouldn't be where you are right now. Let me give you some examples of that. In their eyes, Jesus has failed to be the Messiah. You know why? Because they've only picked out of the, out of the prophets the things like this. They expected someone to come and destroy all of Israel's, all of God's enemies. Now, can you find that in the prophets? Absolutely. And it's there. And then they expected someone to come and deliver them from bondage. And did God promise them that He was going to come and deliver them from bondage? Absolutely. And then they were looking for someone that was going to come and set up God's kingdom in Jerusalem where they would all be rulers over the world. And is that something that God did promise? Absolutely. The problem was they only picked out the things that really excited them and the things that they were happy about and the things that they wanted. They failed to see that all throughout the Scriptures... All the prophets have always been saying that the coming Messiah is going to have to suffer. The coming Messiah is going to have to shed His blood. The coming Messiah is going to have to be given as a sacrifice for sins. The coming Messiah is going to have to die, be buried, and then rise from the dead. And we see this all throughout Scripture. Like for instance, let me show you um, just a few things. Think about in the garden at the fall of man. Jesus is first prophesied when God comes to Adam and Eve and He says to them, your seed, the seed of the woman, is going to crush the serpent's head and He's going to bruise His heel. That was the first time that we recognize that the Messiah that would come and that would save them is going to be one who is going to be bruised by the serpent. But in the process of that, He's going to crush the serpent's head. And He is going to be the seed of the woman. Not the seed of the man. The seed of the woman. The Holy Spirit is the one that actually comes and, and, and He is the only begotten Son of God because the man was not involved. It was only the Holy Spirit and the seed of the woman. Another place that we see it, think about the animal in the garden. Whenever Adam and Eve sinned and they came, they had tried to cover up their sin and their shame by doing what? By taking leaves and covering up, right? God comes and says, it's not going to work. No, it's going to take a lot more than that to cover it up. And God takes an animal that Adam and Eve had cared for, that Adam had named, 
Imagine one of your pets, if you will. Adam cared for this animal. Adam loved this animal. Adam named this animal. And now God takes this animal and slaughters that animal and sheds that blood. And He takes the skin from that animal and He says, this is the only way to cover sin and shame. Blood has to be shed. A payment has to be made. He's showing them over and over again that the only way the Messiah is going to be able to save is for blood to be shed for an innocent blood. A a, 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 a blood that didn't do anything wrong has to take the place of the one who has sinned. And so we see it in the garden in the animal that God killed. We see it in the blood sacrifice that Abel gave. And we understood that God will not accept any other sacrifice for sin except a blood that is shed for sin. This is the reason why when Cain came, you know Cain brought the best he had. Do you understand that? Cain did not come with some rotten vegetables and fruit. Cain brought the best that he had. This is the reason why Cain got so mad when God did not accept his sacrifice. Because the offering he brought was an offering that Cain, this was, this was his hardest work. This was the best that he had. But the problem is, your best will never be enough. Your best can't cut it. So what's it going to take to make payment for sins? Abel did it right. He brought an animal that God had requested. And he shed the blood exactly the way that God asked him to do it. And because of Abel's faith in God's Word, that this is the way that my sin and my shame is covered. The Bible says God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but He rejected Cain's. The point? This is what the Messiah is going to have to do. And then as we continue on, I'll go through these quicker, but we see this more and more as we keep on. Look, what it, look, look next, and He says, Jesus is the ark that we have to enter to be saved from God's wrath. God's wrath is coming on the world and we have to be somewhere that God has built, that God has designed, and that is the only way that we are going to be saved is if we are in the place that God has said, this is where you must be when my wrath comes through. And if you are not here, you will not be saved. So we see Jesus in the ark that takes the beating of the flood and takes the beating of the rocks and the waves and everything else. We see Noah as a type of Jesus who actually builds the ark and preaches the gospel. And so we see that this is a type of Jesus in Noah. In Abraham and Isaac, we see that God requires a most precious life of an only begotten son. In Abraham, we begin to see that it's not just an animal that's required, it's an only begotten son. And God has to teach Abraham that as He reveals it to him. And Abraham takes... Isaac up on the mountain and he is fixing to sacrifice his son and the angel stops him and he says don't do that and he goes and Abraham finds that there's a ram in the bush and God had provided a sacrifice so that his son could go free but one day on that very same mountain I don't know if you knew this or not but the very same mountain that Abraham took Isaac on If I was a betting man, I would say the very same spot. 2,000 years later, Jesus Christ Himself will go up that same mountain and God the Father will take His only begotten Son up that mountain 
and He will shed His blood for sinners like you and me. <clears throat> in, in Jacob's ladder, we see that he's the one that comes down from heaven and allows us to have access to God. Um, we see him in Joseph as he is most loved by his father. He is, the, he, he is the, the favorite of his children, if you will. Betrayed by his brothers into suffering and to death. You remember that? but became a king out of this suffering and death, and soon every knee bowed to him. Every example, when you go back to the Old Testament, from Moses, from Genesis, all the way through all the prophets, every story has been showing us that the Messiah is going to have to suffer at the hands of sinful men, and He is going to die, shed His blood, but... He will rise up to be a king out of that suffering and every knee shall bow to Him one day. A few other examples of it. <clears throat> he is the one who redeems His people by the blood of the spotless Passover lamb. When we see the exodus and we see God delivering His people from bondage, we see that a payment has to be made to redeem them out of that bondage. And He takes a spotless lamb, a perfect lamb, and he slaughters this lamb and he tells them the blood has to be applied and when I see the blood, what will happen? I will pass over you. And so again, we see that the Messiah is going to have to suffer and die. <clears throat> we see Moses is a picture of Jesus who delivers us with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. You know, there are so many times that we read the Bible and we want to put ourselves in the place of the hero of the story. We want to read the Bible and we want to say, man, i got to be like, I got to be like Moses and part my Red Sea. Can I tell you you're misreading it? Can I tell you the right way to read it? You're not Moses. You're the children of Israel standing on the back that the enemy is bearing down on and there is nowhere you can go and there is nothing you can do with this Red Sea. You are helpless and you are hopeless. And the moral to the story is unless God sends someone that can part the Red Sea and lead me across on dry land and lead me through the wilderness and into the promised land, unless God sends a hero, I have no hope. There are too many times that you want to put yourself in the story of David and you want to say, well, I've got to slay my Goliath. I've got to, I've got to battle him and tear him down and I've got to cut his head off. Can I tell you, you're misreading the story? You're not David. You're the trembling army up on the hill that says, I can't beat him. I can't beat him. In and of myself, I am powerless to beat this enemy. And unless God sends a hero to stand in my place and beat my enemy for me, I have no hope. Our job... Now, are there applications from those stories? Do we need to have faith like David? Absolutely. So are there lessons that we can apply to our life? Yes. But the point of the story, as Jesus said, when you read Moses and all the prophets, the point is you're supposed to look at it and go, that's what God's going to do for me one day. God's going to send an even greater than Moses to come and part my Red Seas, to come and deliver me from bondage, to come and, and, and be my Passover lamb, 
God is going to send someone that is going to lead me across the Red Sea on, the dry, on dry land and into the, into the wilderness where He will guide me through. When you go through the wilderness, you are to see Jesus in the, in the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night. This is the reason why in the Gospel of John, when they're having the lighting ceremony and, and Jesus has looked at them and He's cried out and He said to them, I am the light of the world. And whoever will follow me will not walk in darkness. And so everywhere we look in the Old Testament, the point that Jesus is making is that if you understand all that the prophets were saying, not just the parts that you want to pick and choose, but if when you listen to the Word of God, you listen to it with ears that say, Lord, teach me the things that apply to you. Lord, teach me what you're saying here. Teach me everything that there is to know about this. And when we look at the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus and His death, burial, and resurrection, we see Him from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to, to uh, Malachi. All the way to the end. Everywhere we see Him. When you get to Isaiah, they should have known this. When you get to Isaiah, you see Him as the suffering servant who is a man acquainted with grief and a man of sorrows, a man that is going to be crushed by the Lord as He lays the iniquity of us all on Him. Can I ask you a question? For Jewish disciples that were so well versed in the Scriptures, how in the world did they miss this? The only answer is this, as Jesus said, they were foolish. Why were they foolish? Because they had been taught over and over and over again, but they only heard what they wanted to hear. <clears throat> and can I tell you today that you and I have the same problem. We have the same problem. And so they were foolish, but they were slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken about Him. And this is where you and I have to look at today and understand that we come in here to hear the Word of God. There is a way to hear this Word. And there is a way to hear but not hear. There's a way to hear, be hearers of the Word, but not doers of the Word, right? Amen. And we have to be careful that we come in here, as Jesus said, with whatever measure you choose to listen with, you remember what He said? The same measure is what you are going to take in. Here's one of the problems that we don't understand. You remember the parable of the sower? The Bible tells us that the man went out to sow and he sowed the seed along the path. It was hard packed. And you remember what happened? The birds came and immediately they took away what was sown. You remember the Bible tells us that the, the seed is the word of the kingdom, right? The word of God. The bird is Satan. What is he trying to do when the word of God is first thrown out this morning? He's trying to grab it from you before it ever has the chance to settle into soul and take root. Because if he can do something in your life and He can do something in your heart right now this morning 
to stop you from hearing. Some of us don't realize that one of the ways that the devil takes the Word away from us so that we hear but we don't hear is through inattention. Inattention. We come in here and we're kind of... I've seen some of y'all doing it this morning. And I get it. I get it. Sometimes it's hard to keep you focused, ain't it? Sometimes it is. But can I tell you that those are things that you better pay attention to? Because the Word is being delivered. And the question is, how much of it are you going to hear? Because how you believe in Jesus depends on how much of this Word you take in. Do you understand that? Remember, their problem, their hindrance, they were slow to believe what? All that the prophets had spoken. They had heard it, but they didn't hear it. How many times did Jesus? I counted, I think, three or four that I went back and counted. At least that many times, Jesus had told them explicitly, this is what's going to happen. And yet, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. Go with me now to verse 36 through 48. I'm going to finish that up. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among us. Now let me tell you, because I didn't read it. After Jesus is walking along the road and He opens their minds to the Scriptures and He interprets the Scriptures for them, after that, they go back to Jerusalem. They've been in Emmaus, right? But now they're going back to Jerusalem. You know why? They just saw the Lord. Now we got to go back and we got to tell everybody else about this. We got to let them know. And so in verse 36, they're in the room with the rest of the disciples again. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them. I'm going to tell you what, in my new body, I'm going to be the best hide and seeker you've ever seen in your life. Jesus just pops up and there He is. And they look... And He said to them, Peace to you. Now listen, I don't know about you. But if a dead man jumps up in the middle of our conversation and says, Peace to you, that ain't what I'm feeling. (laughs) Sorry, Lord. I'm not going to be able to fulfill that word. But look what happened. Verse 37, exactly what we expect. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, see my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But look at verse 41. This still blows my mind. And while they still what? Guys, are you seeing how important the Scriptures are at this point? They're not even believing when they handle Him. But watch what happens. Keep going. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, He said to them, Have you got anything to eat here? (laughs) I love that right there because we're going to eat in our new bodies. I I, I praise God for that because I like to eat. All right? 
Have you got anything to eat here? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I have spoke to you while I was still with you. Look at this. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, what? Must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to what? To understand the Scriptures. And He said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is where everything changed. Did it change because they handled His hands and His feet? Did it change because the women saw him alive and the angels told them that he was not dead? Did it change because they remembered all the mighty deeds and the mighty uh, word that he spoke? All the evidence in the world will never top the word of God because there is power in the word of God. You remember what Paul said? Faith comes by what? And hearing what? This is where the power is. This is the reason I say to you that it is so vital that you and I come in together and when we hear the Word of God, we pay attention. We hear the Word of God, we sit on the edge of our seat wanting to know more and more about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we're in the Old Testament, we want to see Him in the Old Testament. I want to find Jesus in the life of David. I want to find Jesus in the life of Joseph. I want to find Jesus in Moses. I want to find myself in the Israelites. I want to find myself in King Saul. I want to find where Jesus is and I want to worship Him for the hero that He is. God, thank You that You kill my Goliath. God, thank You that You part my Red Sea. God, thank You that You drowned my enemy in the Red Sea. God, thank You that You are my Passover lamb. God, thank You that just like Abraham was going to have to give his only begotten son, You gave Your only begotten son so that I could go free. I want to look for Him everywhere I see Him so that that's where I'm actually going to believe at. What do we learn from this? First, Jesus and His suffering under redemption are the main points to every book of the Old Testament. Exactly like I just said. When you read through every book of the Old Testament, you need to be looking for Jesus. And this is exactly what the New Testament is about. Go back and read the book of Hebrews. He shows you how everything in the old sacrificial system points to Jesus. Go back and read Colossians chapter 2. Paul teaches on how everything in the Old Testament was a shadow of things to come. Go back and read um, Hebrews chapter 10 to where it shows us that everything in the temple and the tabernacle and everything concerning the Old Testament, every bit of it pointed to Jesus. And when you see that Jesus has been the story from the beginning of time, then you see His death, burial, and resurrection. Something in you goes... That makes sense. I understand it. I get it. 
The next thing we learn from this, the Scriptures can be distorted or they can be twisted according to our own fleshly desires. As I told you a minute ago, look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. <clears throat> As he does in all his letters, talking about Paul, when he speaks in them, these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Would you agree with that? But look what he says next. Which the ignorant, what does it mean to be ignorant? Just don't know. The ignorant and the unstable, in other words, you don't have the solid foundation. This is the reason why teachers and having good biblical teachers are important to you. He says the ignorant and the unstable do what to the Scriptures? They twist them to their own destruction as they do the other Scriptures. And you and I have to be careful. This is the reason why when I come in, I try to preach only the Bible to you. Verse by verse. Word by word. This is what we see. This is what it teaches us. Why? Because this is the Word of God. Nothing more, nothing less. And now, if you hear it by faith, faith will grow in you. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. Next, understanding all of the Scriptures will keep us growing in our faith of the Gospel. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13 through 14. Look at what he says right here. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. In other words, we hold all of the truth in common. That's what we're trying to get to. And until we all attain to the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Look at verse 14 so that we may no longer be, what? Children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So how do we keep that from happening? How do we make sure we're stable in our lives? We listen to the Word of God and we take it all in and we learn and we grow in it and as we learn the knowledge of the Son of God, we attain to a unity of faith and so that we're no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And then the last thing I'll say to you is this. <clears throat> we are responsible for knowing and understanding the Scriptures. Do you hear me? You know how I know that? Think about what Jesus said to these guys, to these disciples. He said, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You are responsible. He didn't look at them and say, well, you know, you didn't really have no choice. <laughs> you know, I get it. I get it. I mean, you were sleepy when I was teaching. I get it. I get it. You know, the sun was out. It was a beautiful Sunday morning. And the lake was just so inviting. The golf course just looked so good. The turkeys were just gobbling like crazy that morning. No, Jesus looks at them and He says, You foolish ones. You were responsible to know it and to understand it. And you didn't. And we need to take that to understand how important the Word of God is in our life. Especially the Old Testament. Because you do understand something. Jesus was not talking about the New Testament. The New Testament wasn't even wrote at this time. 
They're talking about the Old Testament Scriptures. And yet we got pastors today running around here saying we need to unhitch our churches from the Old Testament. Idiots need to sit down and shut up. They don't know half of what the Old Testament is there to actually teach us about. You remember I tell you this last little story and we'll close. The story Jesus told about the rich man and the beggar Lazarus. You remember that? Remember the beggar sat out there and Lazarus walked by him every day and he didn't do nothing for him. And they both end up dying. Lazarus goes to paradise and he's sitting up there and the, the rich man goes to, um, to Hades and he's down there and he's thirsty and he just wants a drop of water just to cool his tongue. And he's in torment and he looks up his eyes and he, he sees Lazarus. And then God says to him, you remember in life you had all your good things and Lazarus had nothing. And yet you had no love for him, no concern for him, no desire in your heart to help the poor. Now, as a result of that, Lazarus is enjoying all the good things in the afterlife and you are here in torment. And he said, oh, would you please send Lazarus to go back to my brothers and tell them, do not come to this place. And God said to him, No, they have Moses and the prophets. If they will not hear them, then they will not believe, even if a dead man rises from the grave. Now think about that statement about how powerful the Scriptures are. The way we believe and the way the disciples believe it wasn't by handling and touching. It wasn't by all that they saw. The way they finally came to believe to the point that it changed their lives, they saw all of the prophecies of God in light of what Jesus did in His life, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And when you see Jesus from Genesis to Malachi and you believe it with all of your heart, that's where the power of God comes to transform you. So all I say to you this morning is this. Be very careful. When you come into the house of God, try your best not to let the devil be that bird that's trying to come and snatch it away. He's talking to you right now going, Oh, you got beans on and they're scorching. He's talking to you right now, talking about, man, we've got this family thing planned and this preacher don't shut up, we're not going to... Hey, I get it because I'm a human being too, right? I get it. But can I tell you, that's exactly some of the tactics that the devil will use to try to keep you from getting the Word of God. Because if he can get that seed before it has time to get down in your heart and actually produce faith, he has accomplished his purpose. Don't be foolish. Don't be slow of heart to believe. And don't let the devil take the seed away. When you come in, you listen with all your heart. And you let the Word of God take root in your life. And you let it completely transform you from a scared disciple to a disciple that loves the Word of God and lives for the Word of God with everything in you.